exalt, empower, embrace. This is the Park Street Family Ministry Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 29 of the Park Street Family Ministry Podcast. This is Adam Herndon, Minister to Families of Park Street Church. Thanks for joining me again today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the adolescent's need for social capital or building community around them. I have a clip I'm going to play uh, from Chap Clark at an interview he did with the Yale Divinity School for Youth Ministry um, about that topic and how uh, we as a church and parents can help come around our adolescents and uh, support them. I was on a... Uh, a call, or I guess a call. I always say a call. I don't know if anyone else does this, but I always say a call when I'm talking about a Zoom thing. Um, but it's not really a call. So I was on a video uh, conference meeting with our uh, church's denomination, the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. And our speaker was uh, Dr. Jim Singleton, who's up at Gordon Conwell. And he was talking about uh, thriving in ministry. How do, how do pastors thrive in in ministry, especially in this uh, very complex, divisive world that we're living in. Uh, but through through his presentation, one of the things he talked about was just the overall drop in a church attendance, and you know, just sharing which is what is pretty common and widely accepted statistics that kind of there's really no churches, especially denominations, who are on a steady incline. Uh, most churches, the best churches are mainly doing right now is kind of plateauing, and which is gener- generally true across the board. And as a part of that, one thing he, one observation he made and his team made in some of the research they were doing was that uh, that's not, it's not only a problem for the church, but really just across all types of social uh, clubs and things like that. There's a real lack of attendance. A lot of, in a lot of the social structures that used to be around, things like the Rotary Club, uh, the Lions Club. I know that, um, or the Masons, um, Boy Scouts. So a, lo- a lot of these different organizations um, are also seeing a real drop in attendance, and we kind of see a. a break down some in the in community life in America. I think we also see this in our neighborhoods as well. Uh, just, you know, if you think about, you know, just how many neighbors do I know who live around me? Uh, towards, you know, maybe a, a couple decades ago that people generally knew more people in their neighborhood. There were more things like block parties and things like that. There was a, a real sense of communities, um, protecting one another, belonging together, uh, watching out for each other's kids. And a lot of that fabric has kind of disappeared. Uh, and so why all this is important is because the because adolescents have a real need for social capital in their development. And one of the things that has kind of has started to disappear with the rise of this kind of rampant individualism of our culture is social capital. And we've seen this, like I just said, in the breakdown of all these or the lack of attendance or interest in all these kind of different community organizations uh, and the breakdown of kind of 
neighborhood family structures and it's one of the things that adolescents uh it's important for adolescents to have as far as their development is concerned uh another person who writes a lot about this is a a sociologist at harvard uh, robert putnam he writes about this in his uh his kind of flagship book bowling alone and then also in a, a, a book that is kind of a follow-up to that uh, called Our Kids. And so I want to talk a little bit about the adolescent's need for social capital, why that's important, and then how we as a church should have a response to that or be able to fill and meet that need. So identity formation has become a real individualized process in our culture. Um, in the modern era, uh, we're in the postmodern era now. Identity formation took place within social constructs, um, primarily the family, to help guide adolescents. But um, over the last couple of decades, we've even seen a breakdown in family, um, and that happens a few different ways. Divorce rates have continued to rise. Uh, families are are very scheduled. Uh, kids are really busy in school, so between all the schoolwork, projects, activities, sporting events, music, dance, and all those types of things, uh, families just don't have the time to get together like they used to. And so so a lot of uh, people's identity formation up until the postmodern era uh, took place in kind of community. Um, it's or what we call kind of social identity formation. It's that part of ourselves that we understand from participating in different social groups like church, family, Boy Scouts, that type of thing. Psychologists C. Tran and Kiesling write, in contemporary American culture, the potency of the social identity has progressively dissolved, replaced by a recurrent appeal to personal identity construction. Uh, basically saying that adolescents are now expected for the most part, to um, navigate questions of identity on their own. And Erickson, who was kind of one of the you know uh, patriarchs of adolescent um, identity formation, uh, you know, he also a lot as a part of identity formation. He talks a lot about the importance of identity formation to take place in the context of a, a safe community where somebody or an adolescent has. Um, feel safe to experiment and to ask questions. Uh, social identity is helpful because it gives adolescents a sense of self-definition rooted in community. Uh, other psychologists, Cote and Levine, write that in pre-modern societies, people face straightforward issues in formation of their adult identities. Most simply, they had to fit into a collectively oriented community uh, metaphorically as a brick fits in the construction of a house. So social identity offers stability in the midst of adolescence, but it's not, of course, without its difficulties because sometimes it puts uh, another type of pressure on an adolescent where they um, were, were forced into something that they may not be gifted or interested in doing. Um, and so kind of with this move in our postmodern society to this complete... Um, uh, um, individualism is that now adolescents really don't have kind of anything guiding and leading them. It's like, you know, here, you know, you can choose whatever you want, uh, which um, is good, but also can be overwhelming, especially if there's uh, not good support structures around them. 
However, both Erickson and Ctran and Kiesling uh, both note the uh, the complexity or the the challenges of kind of this social identity formation, um, and that it, it sometimes it makes uh, a square peg fit into a round hole, um, and uh, can cause can also be a source of stress and things like that if adolescents are forced into somewhere uh, they don't want to be. So there's a lot of good that comes from this movement into the you know late modern postmodern era. This idea of this kind of more of a personal identity develop is that it gives adolescents more choices and options for their life, career, the type of people they want to be, um, which is good. But the problem becomes is that when this type of uh, freedom to choose for oneself and big decisions for one's life is if they don't have social capital or good supportive adult structures around them to help guide them in the process. So where the problem has come is that our we, we confuse individuation, so that important psychological task of, um, of being able to make decisions for oneself and assorting kind of one's agency and authority with, um, we've confused that with individuality. Um, and individuality oftentimes now um, masks itself as individuation. And there's a difference between the two. The process of individuation should take place in the context of a healthy family um, and community in which family members in the community support one another. Um, however, the as we've said before, the overscheduling and busyness of families has taken away the space in which healthy individuation um, would usually happen. Psychologist Ron Taffel notes that parents are investing less social time with their kids and are becoming managers of their teen schedules, which is to say that there's just less and less opportunities to have more meaningful uh, and important conversations, whether those are conversations around uh, faith, uh, future, social issues, politics, um, and all those conversations are really important for um, adolescents to have in the context of a safe place or in the space or with, with their family, with church leaders, uh, teachers, or other trusted adults. And what psychologist Elkind uh, has observed, he used to be at Tufts, he's retired now, is that the shift from modern togetherness to postmodern autonomy as a basic family value is perhaps most easily observed at mealtime. And I would say that's true. We, we eat less and less together as our schedules get busier and busier. So in our world, we've seen kind of a, um, a decline in the amount of time adolescents get with their families. Um, and then revisiting kind of the loss of community around them, too. You know, there's been a real loss of civic and community engagement in America over the last uh, 30, 40 years or so. Um, and it's largely due to the individualism that has become prevalent in our country. It has led to a sweeping social change in America. And these changes have led to the atomization or kind of separation um, um, isolation of our society um, and Americans we just simply don't connect with each other in the ways that we used to and Robert Putnam offers four reasons as to why there's this loss of civic engagement in America uh, the first reason is the collapse of the traditional family 
the number of parents, the number of families with two working parents, divorced parents, or single-parent homes has constantly risen since the 60s. Uh, the collapse of the traditional family has placed more pressure on of time and money on Americans. Uh, second, he says the suburbanization of America in the late 80s has led to more and more Americans uh, living away from cities and social centers and moving into gated communities. Third, he says the rise of the entertainment technology has greatly contributed to the atomization of our society. That people spend more time indoors now than in previous years. And fourth, a steady decrease in civic involvement has been handed down uh, from one generation to the next. And so, um, you know, parents are not have not been modeling civic engagement with their kids. And there's a trend to that often uh, adolescents in the, whether it's uh, in the media or around older generations get kind of made fun of or critiqued because they say, oh, they're always on their phone. They don't know how to interact with each other. Um, but really what's happening is just it's a reflection of what's been modeled for them and the world that they're living in. And so when you have this kind of uh, philosophical idea of the importance of the individual and individuality uh, with the rise of uh, technology and social media and the busyness of their schedules, the lack of time to be and engage in civic organizations like this is that the, this is the outcome. And so adolescents flock to social media because it's the place where they connect. And the danger with that becomes is that when they're connecting on with their peers on social media and but and going to their peers for, you know, advice and big life decision, and not um, and not looking towards adults for uh, for advice and counsel on on you know major uh, life issues and decisions. So now the question for us as parents and as a church community is: How do we surround our adolescents with good social capital? How do we care for our teenagers well? in this kind of crazy world that they're living in? How do we strike a balance between uh, getting back some of those good things from kind of a social identity construction um, and also bringing in those good things of, of uh, personal identity construction? Where do we, how do we find the balance? How do we turn the tide on this? And I think this is where the church is can and should be the hope for our teenagers as we are a diverse community with lots of adults from all different walks of life and adults ranging from in uh from college students to just graduated to graduate students to young married couples to married you know people have been married with kids empty nesters uh senior citizens I mean, we have all the social capital that our adolescents need and in in a wonderful, safe community. And so how uh, how can we engage our adolescents better? Um, what can we do as parents to help our adolescents engage? Um, because I know for my kids, as they get older, I want them to have other adults in their life that they feel like that they can go to and talk to for advice. Um, around important life decisions. So whether that's uh, dating advice or um, advice on career or how to handle a situation with a friend, 
I want my kids to be able to feel like they have other trusted adults in their life um, that will, one, uh, first and foremost, point them always to Jesus, and, um, and two, who they know who love and care for them. So I'm going to play a clip from Chap Clark doing an interview at Yale uh, Divinity School, their Center for Youth Ministry, talking about this idea of building a spiritual community around our kids. Chap, sometimes when we talk about uh, the church has a plan, the church has a vision, the church is going to disciple, we'll get, we'll get a reaction. Isn't it the parents' job to disciple the children? Are we arrogating to ourselves or to the church something that is primarily a parental responsibility? How do you respond to that question when you get it? Well, obviously there's something to that. Parents have a major role or the primary influence in their kids' lives in terms of nature and nurture. Their parents are the primary environmental specialist for their kids. And even Luther, Martin Luther said, uh, the father's the bishop, the, the mother's the priest. Uh, and there's been a lot of models over the many centuries that basically say, it's that Western family orientation, that separatist individual way of looking at faith, that if that family does their job, then the church's job is to kind of support them. But we have a faith community that has a trajectory a lot longer than back in the Middle Ages. We go back thousands and thousands of years of what God has revealed to us and what the, the people of faith have seen is it's more than just parents. Parents were never intended by God to be on their own to raise their kids. Parents were part of a community and had the support of the community as they loved their children and as they loved all children. And so the faith journey of a kid, yes, does belong to parents, but on the other hand, it belongs to all of us. Now, what does this mean for youth ministry? Well, youth ministry has taken a different tack. Youth ministry has taken the tack that says, we're going to hire somebody, we're going to get volunteers, and we're going to give them a sense of community and ownership in their own peer group. We're going to give them the ability to love each other and support and train each other because not many adults are going to do it. And as youth ministry people, we know most parents aren't going to do it either. And that's just going way too far on the other side, as opposed to seeing youth workers and parents being supported by a community of faith and all coming in together to undercut this thing we call systemic abandonment, which I've talked about in other segments. Um, it takes a whole bunch of people. Where we came up with in the, in the book Sticky Faith, and I've been talking and writing about it for over a decade, is that a, a guy named William Damon at Stanford University talked about the community charter. And in his community charter, he realized that you need a coach, a teacher, a neighbor, extended family, parents, in other words, a kid really needs a group of people. What Hillary Clinton's ghostwriter put, it takes a village using that African proverb. Well, that's a proverb from every ancient culture, is it takes all of us to raise a kid. So I took Damon's idea, these ancient proverbs, what the scriptures teach, and was doing an interview, and, and they said, how many adults does it take? If it doesn't just take parents, does it just take youth workers? And I said, well, it's got to be more than three non-parental adults, because it's got to be longevity. There needs to be kind of a... I'm going to be with you for a long, long time as you explore faith. And it, you can't, you're not going to get seven because that's going to be way too much. That kid's going to go, you know, leave me alone a little bit. So I said five. Need five to one. We've had a five to one in youth ministry for a long time, right? We, we've thought of five to one, but we always think of one adult, five kids because you can drive somewhere sort of legal, right? You can put four in seat belts and one's a senior pastor's kid, and who cares? Mm -hmm. So the idea of five to one has been, yeah, I can do a small group. I can go on a mission trip. I go to camp. Five kids, one leader. I can do, I can do the task of ministry. That's not what we're talking about. 
we need to undercut systemic abandonment, build a community for every kid, so we need to shift five to one, where every kid, by the time they graduate from high school, has five non-parental adults that knows their name, knows their story, prays for them, is committed to that kid. And to me, that is the future of youth ministry. That youth ministry creates an environment where a kid has his own peer group, but also has these multiple adults that are walking with them. So when they come home at Thanksgiving on their sophomore year of college, it's not the youth group anymore, but it's these three or four other people that ask how they're doing, that write them notes and letters, that they actually are part of the community of faith. And so this five to one, if we think of a kids being adopted into the community by these five non-parental adults and youth ministry supports that, that to me is the future of youth ministry. So as we heard from CHAP, it's so important that we build community around our teenagers uh, because as we've already talked about earlier, they've lost it in a lot of places. Um, and another thing CHAP would say too is that um, even a lot of the structures or places where there may be community for kids nowadays, a lot of times that the, the structures, the things in place aren't necessarily, a, are, aren't just there for the good of the kids, but also for the coaches and the leaders uh, that run them. An example of that would be travel sports or uh, something similar, some sort of like club sport or things like that. A lot of times the coaches, and this isn't true in every case, so I just want to make that clear, but a lot of, um, it can be easy for the uh, for the coaches to be more concerned about their own reputation in the, in the sport or in the organization than it is about actually developing, loving, and nurturing the kids. And the same can even be true in schools, dance studios, uh, orchestras, that the ultimate goal is about the good of the organization or the name, the reputation, the fame of the organization, and less about the good and the development of the students that participate in them. And so that would also be like another area of systemic abandonment, that even though the maybe the structure or the organization is there, but that the organization has become less about the good of the kid and more about the good of the organization. And as a church, I think we have a unique role in uh, being able to provide that type of support and community for our kids that they're not going to find in the world, a community that cares for them because of who they are in, in Jesus, who they are created in the image of God, and not for what they can do for the organizations. However, our youth are an indispensable part of our church and can provide a lot of vitality and life to us as a church body. However, the the investment we make in them is because that they are equals. They are uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ or um, fellow people who are created in the image of God. And so, uh, as Chaps said, I think it's important that we uh, as parents, find that type of community for our kids. And I think there are a few different ways that we can do that. So who, who are the five who we surround our kids with? And I think it can be kind of a cross-section of adults. I think it's important that these are Christian people and obviously people that you uh, trust or have a relationship with as a parent. And it doesn't need to be the same five people for the entire life of uh, your child or your adolescence. And I, I do think it's important that we start this as soon as possible. Uh, you don't have to wait to adolescence to surround your kids with loving, caring adults in the church. I think it's something we can do now. 
And so I think a couple, this comes from a couple places. Uh, one, I think it can, it can be their Sunday school teachers. That can be one. Those are adults who are there for your kids, who are there to invest in them, to hand down the faith to them, to instruct them in the word and to get to know them. Um, I think another place you can find these people in the church is through serving somewhere. Maybe you and your family get involved in the food pantry or some sort of other city engagement. Maybe you get involved in the hospitality ministry and greeting and things like that. I love it when I see families bring their kids with them to shake hands um, with people as they come in. And so one of the else could be another one of the other hospitality people. Maybe you build a relationship with somebody else who's a greeter. Uh, you could do that through uh, through ushering or you know just lots of different work. Uh, maybe you volunteer in a in another ministry and you bring your kids with you when you go. And so I think that could be a place it could come from. It could come from a youth worker. Uh, it could come from. Uh, teenagers who, if you're, if you have a younger kid, it could come from teenagers who are serving uh, in children's ministry and asking them to uh, be a part of their life. Maybe you try to hire the same person for babysitting over and over again, just to have another older figure in the life of your child. Uh, it could come from college students. It could come from a lot of different places. And so, um, I or actually I think and then another large place it could come from is just small group the importance of small groups in the life of the church so connecting with a few other families and whether you do that around a missional purpose or whether you just kind of have a more traditional small group um, it's having your kids interacting with those adults on a regular basis maybe you guys do cookouts or you know eat together and things like that um, but but inviting your kids into those spaces, not always sending them away, or at least creating spaces where the kids are welcome to be a part, um, and they have an opportunity to get to know some of those other adults in your group who can uh, who can speak into them. Um, so those are just a few places where you can in the church where you can start building that type of community around your kids. Um, at Chris Perkins, when he was on the podcast, he talked a little bit, you know, just about your kind of faith being your life. Like it's, you know, it's in your home and, um, it's talked about, you know, with, the uh, it's in the life that you share with the people and the family of God. And so if you do that, you're going to naturally start building in that, that social capital around your teenagers where they can see the life of faith lived and, um, and worked out and not just hear about it or not, or faith, not just be something that is um, taught to them, but something that they see that is lived out um, and makes a difference in, in the world. So that is my encouragement to you. Um, no matter where your kids are at, no matter how old they are, how young they are uh, to start building this, this support community around them because uh as Chap has said, as we kind of look through, you know, how kind of the breakdown in civic organizations and society um, and where they exist, a lot of times they exist just for the good of the organization, not necessarily necessarily for the good of your child. Um, and once again, I'm talking and kind of uh, making general statements. Um, it's not true in every case. It's not true in every organization. But generally, these are the trends that I've seen, I've noticed, and other thinkers have noticed them as well. Um, but it's important that we surround our kids with uh, thoughtful Christian community adults who can continue to invest in them and uh, 
uh, pour into them to support them, especially as our kids get into adolescence and and their life start changing as they really start preparing to enter into adulthood. Uh, so th- once again, thanks for joining me today on the Parstry Family Ministry Podcast. I um, hope you enjoyed it. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, uh, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you and interact with you on any of these topics. You can email me at families at parkstreet.org. And have a good month of May. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Thank you for all you do to love your families and reflect the love of Jesus to them. Well, thanks again for joining me, and I look forward to having you back with me next time. Goodbye.